Now here in Psalms 22, 23, and 24, we come to some of the most familiar Psalms in the Bible. And these are the Psalms that I'd like us to spend some time in this morning as we talk about Jesus. Now, before you get to verse one in each of these Psalms, it begins with a title. Each of these three Psalms are labeled as a Psalm of David. And this is the David that we know took down a giant by the name of Goliath. This is the same David who became the great king of Israel. And this is the David who wrote many of the Psalms that we have in the Old Testament book called the Psalms. And David is the one who wrote these three Psalms in particular. In fact, David wrote Psalm 22 as a fugitive being hunted by a jealous king named Saul. Psalm 23 was written by David and and he wrote it with personal memories of being a shepherd in the fields of Bethlehem. In Psalm 24, David wrote it as a king and quite possibly when he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And as you read these Psalms, we see in each of them that David expressed his thoughts and his feelings and his hope in God. I think this is one of the reasons why we love the Psalms so much, right? The Psalms are so human and they're so raw. The, um, the, the psalmists, they were able to articulate what we feel in good times and in bad, what we feel in difficult situations and those moments of just peace and praise. And so often when we need to articulate what we're feeling on the inside, we turn to the Psalms. And we think, now why couldn't I have said it that way? And so we love the Psalms for that. And so the Psalms of David, his thoughts, his feelings, his hope, they're all expressed here in Psalm 22, 23, and 24. But we need to also keep in mind that these Psalms contain something more than just that. Because these Psalms testify of Jesus. Now, you Bible students, you know that these three Psalms are considered messianic psalms. And what we mean by this is that these three psalms, they contain details about God's Messiah who will come to save sinners from their sins and to bring God's kingdom to earth. And when you fast forward 1,000 years, after these psalms were written, 1,000 years later, God sent his Messiah to the world. And we know from the Bible that his name is Jesus. And after Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, and before Jesus went back to heaven, he said to his disciples there in Luke 24, 44, all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So Jesus he says there, look, the Psalms, they talk about me. The Psalms, they testify about me. And we see this so clearly in Psalm 22, 23, and 24. And as you look at these three Psalms together in sequence, we see that these three Psalms, they form a trilogy, which I like to call the Jesus Trilogy. 
In episode one, Psalm 22, we see Jesus, our sacrifice. There we see that he suffered and died on the cross to deliver us from sin and death. And then episode two in Psalm 23, we see Jesus, our shepherd, and we see that he leads and nourishes and protects and cares for us through life. And then in episode three, in Psalm 24, we see Jesus, our supreme. We see he's the king of glory who will bring God's kingdom to earth. And because these Psalms talk so much about Jesus, that's what we're gonna talk about today. We want to talk about Jesus as we see him in these three Psalms. So here we go. Number one, Jesus, our sacrifice in Psalm 22. Now, Psalm 22 is called the Psalm of the Cross. And the reason why it's called this is because it's about Jesus's death on the cross. And if I was to use four words to sum up the message of Psalm 22, they would be crucifixion, separation, completion, and resurrection. Crucifixion, separation, completion, and resurrection, because this is what we see talked about in this great psalm. So we see crucifixion in verses 14 through 18. And here's the thing that's so amazing about Psalm 22. Listen, it was written about 500 years before crucifixion was invented. Isn't that amazing? I love this about the Bible. This is one of the ways that we see the veracity of the Bible. The Bible talking about in detail what crucifixion is and what it looks like about 500 years before it's even invented. It was invented by the Persians and it was perfected by the Romans. You see, Roman crucifixion, it combined brutality and torture and shame and death. And it's no wonder that the English words excruciating and crucifixion are related to each other. And you know what the Bible tells us, right? That Roman crucifixion is what happened to Jesus. We see in Psalm 22 a detailed description of what Jesus would experience on the cross. Look at it. In verse 14, the psalmist says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. At crucifixion, when Jesus was erected upright on the cross, there was tremendous strain that was put on his wrist and arms and shoulders. And this resulted in a dislocation of his shoulder and elbow joints. Verse 15 says, my strength is dried up like a pot sheared and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the death or the dust of death. We know that Jesus in crucifixion, he suffered severe loss of blood due to the beatings and the floggings. And as a result, he felt extreme dehydration and loss of strength. 
In verse 16, he says, they pierced my hands and my feet. And we know that nails were driven through Jesus's hands and feet to fasten him to the cross. Wow. In verses seven and eight, he says, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. You would think that as the prince of glory is hanging there on the cross, suffering and dying for the sins of the world, that sinners would recognize what's happening and that they would feel shame and they would be astounded by what's going on and their mouths would be shut by amazement, but instead we see mockers. We see mockers who are ridiculing Jesus while he was suffering and dying on the cross. Verse 16 says, dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. This, this is an image of wild, savage street dogs surrounding their prey in order to kill them. And here we see that Jesus' enemies would surround him at the cross. In verse 17, we read, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. Now, we know that at the crucifixion of Jesus, that none of his bones were broken. In fact, the Roman soldiers who were assigned there to the execution of Jesus, they actually went to break the legs of the three men that were hanging there at Calvary. And they broke the legs of the two thieves on either side of Jesus, wanting to hasten the process of death. But when they came to Jesus, they found he'd already died. And so one of the Roman soldiers with skilled precision, he took one of the Roman spears and he thrust it through the side of Jesus. And we read that blood and water flowed out, which signaled that Jesus had already died of a ruptured heart. But he confirmed that Jesus was dead, and so they didn't break his legs, as the ancient prophet said. None of his bones would be broken. And then in verse 18, we read, they divide my garments among them, and from my clothing they cast lots. And you remember that as Jesus was hanging there on the cross, that Roman soldiers, they gambled for Jesus' clothing as a kind of trophy. Again, something that you would think isn't the most proper thing to do at someone's execution. And yet all this stuff happened just as the Bible said it would, crucifixion. But not only crucifixion, I see in Psalm 22, separation. In verse one, it begins with those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, these words are familiar to us because we know that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, Jesus uttered these words. And for us to understand the meaning of these words, the full force of these words, we see a connection in verse 1 with verse 3. In Psalm 22, verse 3, there is that simple and yet profound three-word sentence you are holy. 
Something was happening. At this moment on the cross that caused Jesus to utter out these words. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus became sin for us. Now, this is one of those things in the Bible that I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. I believe it, but to actually understand it, that's a hard one for me. How Jesus can become sin for us without becoming a sinner. And Jesus became sin for us while he was hanging there on the cross and he endured God's punishment for sin in our place. And in this, Jesus experienced separation from God as he was drinking in full the cup of God's wrath against our sins. You see, God treated Jesus as if he lived our sinful life so that he can treat us as if we lived his sinless life. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so you and I would never have to? How amazing is our Jesus? Crucifixion, separation, listen, completion. I see completion in Psalm 22. There in verse 31, it says, they will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. Listen, that he has done this. In other words, after everything has been accomplished, the gospel will declare to all future generations, he has done this. Speaking about the cross, speaking about the sacrificial death of Jesus for you and me, he has done this. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, those words, he has done this, is just one word. And Bible commentators tell us it can be better be translated, it is finished. Sound familiar? These are the closing words of Psalm 22. And listen, these are the final words of Jesus on the cross. For six hours as Jesus was hanging there on that Roman cross, he was in the hands of his enemies. He was in the hands of mockers. He was in the hands of his enemies who hated him. But now Jesus was about to permit his spirit to go into the hands of the one who loved him best. When he said, Father, into your hands I now commit my spirit. But as he says this, he also utters this cry, it is finished. What's finished? Listen, the Old Testament prophecies about the suffering servant are fulfilled. It is finished. Jesus' sacrificial atoning work on the cross is completed. It is finished. 
The ransom for our redemption is paid in full. It is finished. And the wrath of God has been satisfied. It is finished. Listen, the message of the gospel is not do, do, do. The message of the gospel is done. It is finished. Crucifixion, separation, completion, and listen, resurrection. Resurrection. Look at verses 19 through 22. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. Now, these words meant something to David the psalmist. Listen to his petitions in verses 19 through 21. He says, help me, deliver me, save me. And then we see those words of salvation and deliverance in verse 21 when it says, and God answered him. But these words also mean something to Jesus. When Jesus prayed, deliver me, it was a prayer to his father to be delivered from his enemies and to be delivered from his death. And listen, three days after Jesus died, God answered this prayer. When Jesus died on the cross, they took his body down and they wrapped him in burial clothing, and then they put him in a borrowed tomb. But three days later, Jesus gave the tomb back to the owner because he didn't need it anymore. He rose again from the dead. He came back to life. And so this Jesus that we're talking about, he is the risen and forever living Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus is God's approval of the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. And listen to what the risen Jesus declares in Psalm 22, verse 22. This is the risen Jesus speaking. In Psalm 22, verse 22, we first see proclamation. Jesus says, I will declare your name to my brethren. We know Jesus is saying this because Hebrews chapter 2 quotes this verse and says it was Jesus who was talking. And Jesus is saying, here's what I'm going to do, being risen and alive. I am going to boast about the Father. I am going to brag about the Father to my people. And that's exactly what's happening this morning here in this place. We're here to make much of God. We're here to brag about him because he's that big and he's that worthy. Only God can pull off this thing called salvation. But not only proclamation, check out the praise. This is the risen Jesus who's speaking, and he says, in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. I love these words. They tell me something about Jesus. That not only is he in front of us receiving worship, but according to this statement, did you know that Jesus is in the midst of us? And as we're lifting our voices in praise to God the Father, Jesus is singing to the Father, praising the Father along with us. 
Isn't that awesome? So as you're walking into this sanctuary, listen, Jesus is already here because he's never late for worship. And as you're walking out of this place, Jesus is still hanging out in here because he loves to linger in the presence of his Father. So the next time we get together to stand or lift up our hands or to sing out to the Lord, you remember Jesus is in the audience with us and he is lifting up his voice to the Father along with us because he's that big and he's that worthy. And because of Psalm 22, because Psalm 22 happened, listen, that's why we can enjoy Psalm 23. If Jesus would have just died and remained dead in Psalm 22, there would be no need for a sequel. But Psalm 23 follows. So having seen Jesus, our sacrifice in Psalm 23, We now see Jesus, our shepherd. And we come to one of the most familiar verses, let alone one of the most beloved and familiar passages in the entire Bible. Psalm 23, verse one, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Wow. There's a couple of things I see in this short and profound statement. The first is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. The subject of the statement is God. We see that in the first two words, the Lord. And I want you to see that Lord there, it's, it's in all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And whenever you read the Old Testament and you see Lord in all caps, listen, this is God's name. We pronounce it Yahweh. Some people pronounce it Jehovah. But what we see here is that The Jesus of Psalm 23 is God. In the New Testament, God the Son manifested himself as a man called Jesus, and the Bible is so clear to tell us that he's God. In 1 John 5, 20, speaking of Jesus, it says he is the true God and eternal life. So however you're thinking about Jesus this morning or this afternoon, you need to be thinking of Jesus like that. But not only does Psalm 23 verse one show us that Jesus is God, but we also see that he is our shepherd. He's our shepherd. In John chapter 10 verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. In Hebrews 13 verse 20, Jesus is called the great shepherd. And in 1 Peter 5, 4, Jesus is called the chief shepherd. And here in Psalm 23, the psalmist calls him my shepherd. What a beautiful, beautiful truth this is for us to think about. That Jesus is our shepherd and we are his sheep. Listen, this is a special covenant relationship that exists between Jesus and us talking about the intimacy of this relationship. We see in John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. How much does a shepherd love us? He says, the good shepherd gives his life for a sheep. Wow. And he also says in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own 
sheep. Listen, Jesus is our shepherd who leads us and nourishes us and protects us and cares for us in life and through life. But here's what I want us to understand this morning. Not everyone here, not everyone who is watching this via the internet or listening to this on the radio can say the Lord is my shepherd. Because these words assume a personal relationship with Jesus. Until you trust in Jesus as your savior and you start following him as your shepherd, you are sheep without a shepherd. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray, each one of us to his own way. And it says that Jesus looked out to the multitude and he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. But for people who see Jesus for who he really is and they recognize the truth of the death and resurrection of Christ and they come to Jesus and they believe in him as their savior for salvation. They confess their sins to him and they receive Christ to be their king, their shepherd, their savior. At that moment, a miracle happens. And lost sheep, condemned sheep are brought into God's fold and we become the children of God. We become God's sheep who can say, the Lord is my shepherd. So the application for us is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus today? If you don't, I wanna encourage you, before you leave today, give your heart to Jesus. But for those of us who are sheep who belong to Jesus, listen, there are benefits of having Jesus as our shepherd and being his sheep. And this is what the rest of Psalm 23 describes. The shepherd's commitment and the shepherd's work in the life of his sheep. And we see, number one, he satisfies us. Verse one says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want her, I shall not lack. Now he's not talking about being satisfied by the things he gives to us. Listen, we are satisfied in him. Jesus is enough. He's the bread of life who satisfies our hunger. He's the living water who satisfies our thirst. He's our life who satisfies our search for meaning and purpose. He's our beloved who satisfies our longing to love and to be loved. And being satisfied in Jesus means that we could also be satisfied in his care for us. So our shepherd, he satisfies us, but he also provides safety, security, and refreshment for us. He says in verse two, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Listen, this is the opposite of fear and worry. This is the opposite of anxiety and stress. And the reason why Jesus' sheep 
can experience this kind of safety and rest is because they are trusting their shepherd. In their trust, they are remaining close to him and they go wherever he leads them. Listen, the reason why we become filled with fear and worry, anxiety and stress is because we are not trusting the shepherd. But when you trust him, he can bring you to those green pastures and bring you beside still waters. Waters that you know you can drink from there and it's not going to be a raging river that's gonna sweep you away. But you'll be able to rest because you trust him. He restores us. Verse three, he restores my soul, David says. This is spiritual refreshment and renewal. Jesus heals the brokenhearted, the broken soul. He revives the lifeless soul. He ends the drought of the barren soul. He guides us. He says in verse three, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In other words, he leads us in being the right person, doing the right thing before God, to be in the right. And Jesus does this for his glory. He's always with us. In verse four, he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus is always with us. And he's with us through the dark and difficult days in life. And that's one of the most comforting things to know that no matter how difficult, no matter how dark life is, that we're never alone. And Jesus will continue to be with us even through the valley of the shadow of death as we come to the end of our mortal lives on earth and we are about to take our first step through the corridor called death that leads us right into our true eternal home called heaven. And listen, death is not final. Death is a shadow. And the light of God and the light of God's kingdom dispels it. And Jesus is there with us. He also vindicates us. Psalm 23, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God promises that he will make every one of our enemies bow before us in the future. He anoints us. He says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Back in the day, the shepherd's oil was used to soothe his sheep from skin irritations that were caused by insects and injuries. And how the Lord, he brings refreshment and healing and he anoints us with the oil of his spirit. And he blesses us. In verse six, he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is grace and forgiveness. This is generous benevolence and compassionate kindness. And I love the picture here as we think of Jesus, the shepherd in front of us and Jesus's sheepdogs behind us called goodness and mercy and they are gonna chase us right into heaven. 
as we see that he's gonna bring us home. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the psalmist tells us. Because heaven is our real home. And we're gonna live there forever. In this home that we're gonna be in, that's the king's house. So we see in Psalm 22 that Jesus is our sacrifice. And because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, that makes Psalm 23 possible that Jesus is our shepherd. As the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's the relationship. Psalm 22 swings us into Psalm 23. But now as we see at the end of Psalm 23, the assurance of God's home, the king's house that you and I are gonna be a part of, it swings us into Psalm 24. And we see that Jesus is sovereign. However you think about Jesus this morning, we have to think of Jesus in these big terms. There is nothing common about Jesus. There is nothing small about Jesus. There is nothing ordinary about Jesus. There is nothing, nothing that is boring about Jesus. So if this is who your Jesus is, you've got the wrong Jesus. Because our Jesus, he's the sovereign. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And this psalm calls him the king of glory. And we need to think of Jesus in those terms. And here in Psalm 24, we see these two great facts about King Jesus. First, the King Jesus is victorious. There in verses seven and eight, it says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? Listen, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. These words picture a victorious king entering the city gates of his kingdom, and this is one of my favorite thoughts of King Jesus. As we think about Jesus, as he is triumphant and victorious, entering into the gates of his city, and the city, the people are there to greet the king with adoration and celebration. Everything about this scene is loud. Everything about this scene is glorious. Because however you think about Jesus, we need to think of him as our victorious king. Because it was this Jesus who was victorious on the battlefield called Calvary. As he defeated Satan and sin on the cross. Colossians 2 verses 14 and 15 says, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Listen, having, he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. In other words, when Jesus was hanging there on the cross and he declared that it was finished, he put to shame the devil and the demons. He was victorious. 
And because he's victorious on the battlefield called Calvary, he is the victor that we keep our eyes on through all the trials, battles, and difficulties we face in life. Paul the Apostle wrote in Romans 8, 35 through 39, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Wow. And this same Jesus will be victorious in the future, bringing a final end to Satan and sin at his return. This is what we spent time learning about last Sunday morning. As Pastor Brian opened up Revelation 19, and he read to us the the description of the return of Christ. I'll tell you, that description of the second coming of Jesus, there is nothing weak and boring and small about it. Jesus is the victor. He's our champion. He's our hero. But not only do we see that Jesus, King Jesus, is victorious, but we see in verses 9 and 10 that Jesus, King Jesus, is glorious. It says there in verses 9 and 10, lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. We should never think of Jesus as being common, ordinary, weak, small. But instead, King Jesus is all glorious in all his majesty, in all his worth, in all his power, and in all his splendor. And this is the reason why we worship him. Listen, we don't gather to worship and sing songs about Jesus and and proclaim his praises simply because we have nothing else to do. We do it because Jesus is worthy of it. This is why Paul the Apostle there in 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 and 16, he gives Jesus this doxological praise. He says, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. When you talk about Jesus, does it sound like that? When you boast about Jesus, does it sound like that? Because that's who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? 
He's our sacrifice. He's our shepherd. He's our sovereign. So how do we finish a message like this? Let's all stand. You know, whenever we get together to read the Bible and to study it together, that's only part one of Bible study. Everything that we learn as we read and as we hear the Word of God should be bringing us to a practical conclusion, application. This message is going to mean nothing to you if you do not decide to obey the word of God. So now it's time for application. Some of you are here and you do not know this Jesus that we've been bragging about today. It's true, you might have gone to church, you might have been religious, or maybe you know nothing about Jesus. You're here because it's Mother's Day and you knew this would make mom happy. <laughs> but you're here, and Jesus has been talking to you. And maybe you, for the first time, you get it. I get it now. Now I know why all these people around me love Jesus so much. Now I know why Millions of people all over the world love Jesus so much because this is the Jesus. This is the Jesus that they worship. This is the Jesus that they serve. This is the Jesus that they follow. For you, here's the application. You got to do something with that stuff that Jesus is telling you, and that is that you need to give your heart to Jesus today. You need to agree with Jesus about what he says about your real condition, that you're a sinner in need of a savior, and you need to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I really don't know how to, how to even pray neat, clean prayers, but, but that guy up there says that you'll accept messy prayers. So here it goes. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for messing up my life and trying to live life without you. I'm asking you, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and be my shepherd. And the moment you ask Jesus to come into your life, a miracle happens in your heart. He forgives you of your sins and he guarantees that you're going to go to heaven and he puts his spirit inside of you and he gives you a new beginning, a new life that you can now walk with Jesus and live for Jesus all in the context of Psalm 23. Don't walk out of this place without Jesus. And so as we finish up, there's going to be men that are standing there at the prayer room to my left, your right, and they're available to, 
sit down and talk with you. If you have any more questions about this Jesus thing that we've been talking about, or you wanna say, yes, I'm all in. I wanna give my heart to Christ. Well, connect with people. Those pastors that would love to sit down and share with you and lead you to Christ, or if you're watching on the internet or if you're listening to this on the radio, you can call the church office here and ask to speak with a pastor or go go to your local church and speak with one of the pastors and say, I heard this thing about Jesus and I wanna give my life to Christ today. For others of you, you've been living with a lot of fear and anxiety and worry And that's become the new normal for you. But the problem is today you recognize it's because the sheep has been trying to lead the shepherd instead of just letting the shepherd lead the sheep. Because when you just follow the shepherd, that alleviates the stress. And you can just trust and rest that Jesus is going to lead you every day in the will of God. And for others of you, for others of us today, as we've been talking about Jesus being the king, Jesus has just been breathing into your hearts, blowing away all those improper views of Jesus and reviving a clean and clear vision of Jesus again that he is not common, he is not small, he is not ordinary, but he is extraordinary, he is holy, he is unique, and he is king. So in your heart, you're saying, yes, Jesus, just blow away all those misconceptions of Jesus and renew in me just that passion for you. Yes, praise, yes, adoration, yes, celebration. Because that's who our Jesus is. So we need to respond. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for saying so much about Jesus in the Bible. And thank you for showing us this morning again that Jesus is our sacrifice, our shepherd and our sovereign. Lord, we want the world to know this Jesus. And Lord, we want it to happen here that we worship you rightly. So however you have been ministering this truth to every individual in this room, enable us to obey by faith so we can see the fruit of it. And so, Lord, help us every day to make much of you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, let's close out by just celebrating King Jesus today. Mm